This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. To ignite change, you have to become comfortable with being uncomfortable. According to actress Regina King, comfort zones are where dreams go to die. If you put yourself in situations that challenge you, then you have no other choice but to rise to the occasion. If you are not successful in the situation, think about what you learned about yourself and what adjustments you can make to go along a different path. Jumping out of your comfort zone means that you are able to see other paths for your life and you muster up the courage to no longer settle with being comfortable. Valerie Atelis interviews Dr. Natasha Williams, the author of the Embracing Selfishness, It's Not What You Think, How to Redefine Selfishness as Radical Self-Care. Dr. Natasha Williams is a registered psychologist with the College of Psychologists of Ontario and the past chair of the Board of Directors at Women's Health in Women's Hands, a community health center for black women and women of color in Toronto. Dr. Williams is a member of the Ontario Psychological Association, OPA, Canadian Psychological Association, CPA, and the American Psychological Association, APA. She was the OPA's diversity delegate representative at the APA State Leadership Conference in Washington, D.C. in 2011, and is the past chair of the OPA Diversity Task Force, whose aim is to raise awareness of the importance of diversity and to promote ongoing efforts to influence social change in the field of psychology practice in Ontario. She is also a past board member of the Ontario Psychological Association. Dr. Williams is a past faculty member with the Bridge Training Program for internationally trained mental health professionals and a former trainer for TAPE Educational Services, which provides professional development programs for clinical teams at healthcare centers and human services organizations. She is also the former lead trainer with the Adler Graduate Professional School in the CBT Certificate Program. Dr. Williams is a guest facilitator and trainer with CAMH in topics such as culturally adapting cognitive behavioral therapy for the English-speaking Caribbean community and motivational interviewing. Dr. Williams is the clinical director of Allied Psychological Services, and she is the current president of the Association of Black Psychologists, ABPSI. Meet Dr. Natasha at drnatashawilliams.com. Here's the interview with Dr. Natasha Williams. In your own words, who is Dr. Natasha Williams? Who is, who am I? My goodness, what an amazing question. Um, I am a strong, independent, uh, beautiful woman that wears many hats. Um, I am a entrepreneur. I am a psychologist. I am a sister, an auntie, 
uh, a being of light uh, and a healer, um, a healer from a mental health perspective. So I like to explain or describe myself in such a way where it's not just professional, it's it's definitely um, a whole being who feels that they've been placed on this earth to uh, to heal as many people as my voice can can touch. Is that a purpose? Would you call that the purpose of your life? Yes, I, I truly believe that we all do have a purpose in this life and and we are blessed with variety of gifts and talents. Um, and when they actually come together, come to fruition, I think everybody can walk in those gifts and talents in such a way that they'll live an absolute fruitful life. So for myself, I do believe that my purpose as a, as a, as a human being is to heal. And the gifts and talents that have been provided to me have been through psychology and mental health. And um, being able to do that, I think um, there's no greater purpose and, and no other joy that I have than the ability to see people live their full lives. And then for most of us, how do we know when we are finally living that purpose? Are there some signs? I think that's an excellent question. Um, I, I do believe that there are signs. Um, and I do believe that we actually have to, I talk about remain still to truly figure out those signs. For some people, they're going at such a pace in life that I think they miss the signs of their true purpose. Um, and for myself, for example, you know, I was going through life and I, I thought I was walking in my purpose. I believe I was walking in part of my purpose, but I think that life had to come at me, knock me down a little bit um, or a lot so that I could then take a step back and say, am I walking in my full purpose? And um, sometimes it's in the adversities of life uh, where you actually sit and understand how do you walk in your full purpose instead of only walking part way. So uh, I truly believe that's what happened to me. That is a very interesting and insightful idea. I hear that a lot about challenges that is... Um Unfortunately, we say it's the easiest, the most direct way to kind of learn about our purpose and going deeper in life. And then you mentioned quietude. So there is another way. It's not just through suffering that we can learn. Oh, absolutely. That is so true. Because I think a lot of people believe that it's in the suffering alone that you finally learn your purpose. And that's not necessarily true. We can learn things about ourselves through suffering because none of us are immune. But I also think at the same time, in solitude and, and in reverence and being able to just to just sit and be, a lot of times your purpose um, bursts forth. It's what really what truly touches your heart and soul and spirit. And once you sort of hit that, um, there's there's no stopping you, really. When it comes to the purpose of life itself, what do you think is the ultimate purpose of the human experience? Mm, oh, what a, what a beautiful question. I truly believe that the, the purpose of the human experience is to 
first of all, live, as we were mentioning earlier, being able to truly find your purpose and live in it. But the other piece of it as well, I truly believe is, is that how do you also impact the lives of others? These are things I think that, because I don't think that as beings, we were created to be selfish or to just be solitary and that all our gifts and talents are kept to ourselves. I believe our true purpose is when how do we impact the lives of others? How do we bring up other people as well uh, so that we're living harmoniously? I, I think once we're able to really understand that, I truly believe, and it, and it doesn't matter what your gift is, if it's a helping profession, if it's, if it's whatever it is, I think when you're able to impact the t- and touch the lives of you know, family, friends, um, strangers, with your gifts and talents or just with whom you are, your essence. Mm. That to me is the ultimate human experience. And, and I think that ends up being the most important thing. Do you connect the ideas, the understandings you have, the, what you just mentioned to spiritual practices? Yes, I do. So that that to me is very important. I know that everyone has their own, um, I guess, interpretation of higher being and what does that look like for myself. um, My Christian practices are very important to me and it allows me to that continued connection, you know, to God. And with that, that's where I understand that since, you know, he, he created me. And I know that he lives within me. I know that I always will walk in purpose. Um, And that constant connection and that constant reminder and reminding myself to remain connected to that God source to me is where, you know, I walk with my head held high. I walk in the sense of I don't have to have a good day every day, but I also know that better days will lie ahead and that, you know, and that my human human experience um, is, 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 of, is of value. So, you know, having that spiritual groundedness and continuing to tap into that because it's not that you're just grounded once in that sense. <laughs> yes. it's, it's, <laughs> it's a continued process so um, and it's a continued practice. I wake up every morning and, and make sure that I'm connected. I go throughout mm-hmm. the day and ensure that connectedness remains. I go to bed with that connection. So I'm always bringing that to the forefront and it is of of the utmost importance for me. I have a question for you about God. I usually ask Christians that I interview about the idea of God you have. What, where, and who is God to you? Mm. To me, God is everything. Everything that has breath and life and everything that surrounds us is God. And that means God is not confined to a building. God is not confined to um, a certain religion. Uh, religion to me is a human construct. God is everywhere. I can walk out my door. I can, you know, right now I know God is with me. God is every material, everything, which means All that I am and all that I have, every breath that I take is God. And that to me, once you understand that, then, you know, again, you walk with purpose. So Mm. 
that for me is the most important thing. I love that. So in a way, uh, what is God? Everything. Where is God? Everywhere. Everywhere. And, and you know, especially when, I mean, for me, again, as a Christian, um, you know, they talk about the biblical verse where, where two or three gather in my name, I will be there. It never said about, you know, being in a church or being in a mosque or being, yes, being gathered with like-minded individuals sort of allows you to strengthen sort of your faith instead of being in solitude. And that's understandable. But then when we talk about where God is, God doesn't leave because you leave the mosque or you leave the church mm-hmm. or, or whatever the case may be. He is everywhere and everything. I heard you mention, which I do ask the question about the gender, he We hear that a lot, right? Everybody says uh, God is a man or he. Yeah. Yeah. Talk to me for a moment about that. Could God be she? Of course, because I think, I know you said it so clearly. I'm like, yeah, absolutely. Right. Because <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, is that I, I also believe that gender is a societal human construct. And God is beyond that. Yes, we use the term he, but I I would never say that God is male. God is God is all. So if God is all, God is he, she, you know, you know, it transcends all of that. God, God in his realm doesn't work in that way. So when people will say that God is a male, I said, no, no, it's not. No, he's not. And even if I say he. It doesn't mean that I believe that God is male. It's just, I mean, that's the pronoun, that's the the, the noun, whatever that we use. But if God is everything and everyone, God is he and she and, and, and whomever else and other, whatever you want to call it. These are constructs that we've created on the human realm to try to um, organize information in this world. Yeah, that yeah. makes sense. So, so So God is beyond that. Yeah, so, thank you for saying that. <laughs> that God's beyond the idea of being a male, right? Being Exactly. Male. Yeah, I do want to ask you this question now. I know um, you wrote the book, Embracing Selfishness. It is now what you think, how to redefine selfishness as radical self-care. So my first question to you, it's about self-love. How do you define self-love, Natasha? Mm. I, you know what? Self-love for me is understanding that you are worthy of love and love that doesn't necessarily have to come from others. Because I think a lot of times what happens is, is that as individuals, we look for how others validate us alone. And once that validation for whatever reason leaves, relationship ends, or whatever the case may be, that person might be mad one day, it seems that that love diminishes or it disappears and it goes with that individual. Self-love for me is understanding, and that's where your connection with God comes in, is, is that I am sufficient enough. You know, I am worthy and deserving of, of love, and I can provide that for myself unapologetically and be full so that I can be how I so choose to be with others. But I don't have to relegate myself to last so that I am seen as worthy. That self-love is self-preservation. 
you know, I hear a lot of people that connect self-love to self-care as being one thing. Mm -hmm. Would you say that or the different? I think that is part of it. And I think a lot of people put so much emphasis on the behaviors of self-care that they don't look a bit deeper than that. And that's where I start really talking about the radical self-care, because what happens in the behaviors of self-care, such as pedicures, manicures, you know, going out for a spa, those are great things. So I'm not aiming to belittle that at all. But what happens is, is that we a lot of times feel that we only deserve that when our tank is absolutely empty and I need to, you know, I I need to do this or else. Um, And then you go away, you may replenish for a little bit, but you come back into the chaos and a lot of times feel guilty that you left to actually take care of yourself and and engage in that behavior. So what, what I'm looking at with the radical self-care is looking at the foundation and it's understanding that I don't have to run on fumes to believe that I need that I need to take care of myself, that I'm, I'm already worthy of, of continually replenishing myself. Yes, life is hectic and those kinds of things, but engaging in, in, the, in those behaviors is one part of a truer understanding that I am worthy of being whole, being um, being full, being replenished, and not necessarily, again, running on fumes that I can continually replenish myself and it's okay to do so and it's unapologetic. And it doesn't take away from the lives of others. I think that's a lot of times, you know, how can you take care of yourself when you have kids? How can you take care of yourself when you have a spouse? So sometimes those things a lot of people believe get in the way of taking care of yourself because a lot of times our womanhood is connected with sacrifice. To be a true woman, you have to fully sacrifice yourself because you decided to have kids, you decided to get married. And I'm like, yes, there is an integral part about being involved in a relationship and having family and those kinds of things. You are, you know, the people that are depending on you and stuff like that, that's fine. But it's also understanding that our womanhood is not connected uh, with that detrimental sacrifice and that you don't, you could, you don't have to apologize for saying that right now, I need to take care of me. And it's also important because if I run on empty, I cannot be there for my children. I can't be there for my husband. I actually deteriorate to the detriment of myself and my family. I love the clarification about behavior. So self-care is a behavior. It's what we do, which is connected to self-love, but it's not really what self-love is. And what would you say, would that be a belief or a knowing How did you move, for example, from that place of believing that you were worthy and enough Mm -hmm. to a place of knowing? I know it. Yes. And and that is such an interesting question because um, the belief I've had all along, um, you know, you know, I had the belief. But the thing is, is that when we look at um, 
sort of what we call, um, and from as a psychologist, we use some of the, the techniques that we use are called cognitive behavioral therapy. And part of those techniques, we talk about core beliefs. And part of the concept of core beliefs is, again, whom we truly believe we are and where did those core beliefs come from. So we also have to look at society, uh, ethnic upbringing, uh, uh, you know, culture and uh, culture and ethnicity and how all of these these um, things intersect in terms of going from just believing to knowing. So at myself as a African Canadian woman, I also, while I believed that I was worthy of, of, of self-love, um, I also understood um, as a Caribbean woman and being trained as a strong black woman and, and, and all of those things, all of those things sort of intersected where I then believed that my womanhood was connected to this ultimate self-sacrifice. You have to keep on going. You have to go, go, go. You have to be in service of everybody else, your, your, you know, your husband, your, your family, whatever, and you always relegate yourself to last. So it was starting to dismantle some of those core beliefs, not saying that all of the, my upbringing was terrible. I, I, I love my community. I love you know the woman that I've become. But some of those uh, core beliefs I had to start to challenge and dismantle because I I knew they were no longer serving me. I was actually eroding as a result. And once I started to really sit back and reflect on what were the types of messages I was receiving growing up and what set the foundation in terms of whom I believe I am now, do I need to poke holes in some of those theories? Because some of that, as much as we were raised with it, we also have to look at them and say, are these 100% true yeah. or were these things that were passed down from generation to generation for us to survive, right. but maybe didn't give us the opportunity to thrive? Wow. And that's the work of that. I call it healing. Yes. Right. Yes. So what is healing to you, Natasha? And what is the difference between healing and cure? Oh, wow. Oh, my goodness. What a, what a beautiful question. Healing for me is a journey, yeah. first yeah. and foremost. Yeah. Um, and I think healing takes several components because for myself, for example, I also had to embark on my own healing journey. And that healing journey, while I have, you know, as a psychologist, uh, you know, 10, 11 years of, of training behind my belt, all the, all the knowledge I believed I had, um, you know, I, that you basically think you can cure yourself because if you have all this book knowledge, you should know. <laughs> yes, true. <laughs> but, so true. But <laughs> so true. Uh, I think what's fascinating is even with all of that knowledge, you have to understand and accept your humanness yeah. um, so that, you know, I'm not here as a doctor to cure myself per se. And second of all, I think what I also had to do was understand I'm more than the knowledge that I have acquired, um, that I am also a spiritual being. And that once I sat in the stillness, because being raised as a Christian is one thing, having a relationship with God is a completely separate thing. And I believed I had relationship with God until I had to truly lean on him for strength. And when, and then that's where, for me, the adversity actually strengthened my connection to God. 
And in that elicited more healing, understanding my purpose even more and walking in it. But I had to go through some adversity. I went through a divorce and, and, and in that, in my marriage, there was, uh, you know, issues of infidelity, infertility, all of these types of things. And going through that whole process, um, created a lot of wounds, but then also created a space where my foundation in God was strong, but I also understood I had to go to that foundation to actually strengthen my relationship even more. So then I then pulled from my knowledge that my book knowledge and and all of the stuff that I've researched over the years, understanding that I still need to, you always are a work in progress and you're always studying, Um, but pulling from that foundation and then now adding healing as part of, as there's a spiritual component as well, and as well as a physical component, I had to really put these things together. Cure for me, um, a lot of times people talk about cure and then what we do is talk about more of a medical model, to be very honest. So, you know, the cancer is gone. You are cured. You're still healing. There's still a continued healing process. And it's never to be ashamed of that continued healing process. Um, but that I find cure is a very finite thing that we look at. But a lot of times it's in the context of, of sort of, more, of a more medical westernized model. Um, if we know that we are beings that are ever evolving, then we truly know that the healing will always continue. But it's such a beautiful journey. It is. And there's no destination, really. Yeah. Thank you. Yes. I agree. Yeah. I love what you said about this idea of surrender, um, leaning more uh, into God and kind of deepen the faith. It's a challenge, isn't it, for most of us to do? And I wonder a lot of times why. Is that the idea of control we have, that we can do everything mm-hmm. as individuals separate from God? Yes. And, I, and I'm, I'm so glad you've said that because that's where vulnerability comes in. And looking at being vulnerable as a strength versus a weakness. Right. A lot of times we feel that we have to be in control of absolutely everything. Everything needs to be. And because the thing is, in, in that control as human beings, we also receive comfort from that. I know what's going to happen and how it's going to happen and and those kinds of things. And in that, we have comfort. To lean in and to embrace that relationship with God asks you to be comfortable with being uncomfortable, being vulnerable and understanding that you, you know, you may have a roadmap, but God only knows the final destination and he's going to route that, you know, you you may have a route and he may have a completely different way to get to that destination. And you have to now be comfortable enough not seeing the entire map. Um, but understanding that there is a roadmap. I usually tell people that if you decide to take one step in the staircase, you may not see the whole staircase, but God has it there. So you take one step and he will show you the next. But it's in that process, you have to be vulnerable and you have to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. Mm. And that for a lot of us as human beings is, and Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a process that I still go through myself because control feels good because I, I believe I can manipulate all the components of my life to suit me in a certain way. And the outcome is going to be a certain way. So now I'm comfortable. 
Do you believe that there is a a moment and that there will be a moment in this dream reality called life that we will be finally liberated mm. from being here again and again if this is how it works? Ah, okay. <laughs> I think that's such a beautiful question. And I don't even know if I have the answer. I yeah. I truly believe that there is another place from here that we're only here for a, a short period of time and then we are released to a, a, a better place. Um that we, you know, inhabit this body, we do what what God has asked of us and then once, you know, we are released from this body of this this frame that our soul goes to a place which is which is better than here um the, you know but it, it's also something that i i continue to explore yeah. and wonder and ponder yeah. and and you know sometimes you just you never have the answer but right. I, i do believe that there is life beyond here for sure so embracing selfishness uh it is not what you think that's the title of your book So selfishness or being selfish has been stigmatized as something that is not right. <laughs> We are not entitled to that. This is a negative kind of idea of living. Right. So talk to me about your redefinition of selfishness. <laughs> yes. And, it, and it's so fascinating because I wanted to take the term and flip it on its head. Um, yeah. I think I think a lot of times, you know, the minute you say selfish, because a lot of times when we look at the term and define selfishness, it is at the expense of others. Yes. Right. And right. that to me is where I want to flip it on its head and say that taking care of self, being selfish does not or embracing yeah. selfishness as, as the way that I define it does not mean that you um, sacrifice others. And when I say that, it doesn't mean I, I use the term throw people under the bus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what's happening. Right. right. And it, it's not about that. It's being able to say I can situate myself in this world where I can take care of myself, be unapologetic about it, not feel guilty about it and make sure that I am a whole being not eroded mm -hmm. and that I can do that and be of service of to whomever I want to be in of service with so if I have children taking care of myself does not mean that I neglect my children because yeah. that to me is is it that doesn't make sense but I can be selfish take care of myself replenish rejuvenate make sure that I am whole so that my children also live the best life that they can because they've got someone who is healthy strong whole and is a great example to them what comes to mind when I read the title of your book and this radical self-care it's the idea of the extremes of going because we have been living in this kind of um, other extreme of not taking care of ourselves and putting others first, especially women. So right. now we go the opposite. So it's almost like a, a wake up call. It is. Thank you. And thank you for that. Yes, it absolutely is. A lot of times. And again, if I use some of some of a little bit of my training I, in terms of cognitive behavioral therapy, we talk about cognitive distortions. And one of the cognitive distortions is all or nothing thinking black and white. So very similar to what you've mentioned. You know, we've gone from this place of complete self-sacrifice, almost self-erosion, those kinds of things. And we need to come back and say that that 
can know that can first of all, that's not sustainable. It can work maybe for a period of time, but that cannot be sustained and you be healthy and whole. We have to get back to a place where being able to know and understand and believe that you are worthy of that self-love is what we were talking about before and being able to elicit those things of self-care. A lot of times the embracing selfishness comes from a mindset first, behavior second. And once the mind is right, then the behaviors and actions can follow unapologetically. Mm -hmm. So what we talk about now is almost like a self-care system. Right. 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 So I think that's where it's important. Yeah, it makes so much sense because sometimes to go back to balance, it is necessary to go extremes. That's right. We go extremes to go back to balance, which. Right. Yeah. From my perspective, it is taking care of ourselves and others at the same time. Yes. Doing both. We don't have to give up anything. It's usually not about giving up one for the other. And Mm -hmm. a lot of people think that it's like, okay, if I take care of myself, I've given up my family, I've given up my friends, I've given up. I'm like, no, it's not that. And it's not the other way around. I completely dive into friends and family and then and then, you know, to the detriment of myself. So sometimes we have to, you know, do a hard break and come back to recalibrate. Yeah, I love the way you talk about not apologizing when we decide to take care of ourselves. That happens a lot too. For me, yeah, yeah a challenge has been uh, learning to say no. Like <laughs> that's a big one. <laughs> that's a tough yes. one. Yeah. Talk to me for a moment about that, Natasha. And how can we learn in a more graceful way? To oh say no? my goodness. <laughs> yes. You know, because again, a lot of what happens when we talk about the word no is we talk about how does that impact or reflect on us? We then look at that no, not only as, you know, I can't say no, but the reason I can't say no is because it triggers what we call a negative core belief about ourselves. And it's a negative, um, you know, something to the effect of um, I'm unworthy, I'm I'm unloved, I'm a horrible person. Uh, so what happens is, is that our own self-concept becomes um, connected to that no. So I have to continue to say yes to get the approval of others, which then triggers, you know, what I believe about myself. Um, and a lot of times in the no... When you start to say no, what happens is, is that's where you coming to a place of you. I'm starting to take care of myself. But what I do warn a lot of people, especially people that are engaged in psychotherapy with me, when you start saying no, you increase other people's discomfort. And that's because they were so accustomed of you saying yes and t- and you deciding to take on their discomfort. You are now saying, no, you know what? I think I need to take care of myself. The more that you increase their discomfort, a lot of times what happens is you will have individuals that may push back to try to get you back into their service so that you can continue to say yes again. And um, once we understand that mechanism, you can then, you know, fully and confidently be able to say, you know, no, I don't think that that's going to be helpful for me. And when the person decides to push back or to say, well, what about this or how come or why can't you? It's now not about yourself. It truly is about the other individual. They are now uncomfortable. 
And it's and then they now have to either find another way to uh, increase that comfort or sometimes relationships may end, friendships may end because you are no longer in their service. So they now may f- try to find somebody else to do so or to be able to say yes. So we have to now understand that that no is not um, it's not an issue with self. That no and the response from that no um, is the other individual. And that takes time to really, I think, really understand the, the full dynamic of what's going on when you increase your no to take care of self. Yeah, I have been reflecting here. Yes, because for me, it's been being comfortable with other people being uncomfortable. Yes. And I usually will tell people as well that discomfort or or I usually say conflict, but discomfort needs a home. So it's either, you know, if you decide to say yes all the time, you are now deciding to internalize that discomfort or Mm. that conflict or discomfort is usually what I call it. The minute that you decide to say yes, you have now externalized that discomfort. You've chosen not to internalize it and that other individual is now responsible for it. And if they don't want it, they will try to throw it back at you. So it, it's it's always continually looking for a home. <laughs> I'm going to read a passage from your book. You said something that I think you mentioned already, but the way you said, I absolutely love. You say, the conversation that you have with yourself reflects your mindset. You have to consciously change your inner dialogue. So that goes back to belief systems. And my question is, what happens to those belief systems, the old ones that we are trying to replace or get rid of? What happens to them? Are they replaced, changed, upgraded? Mm. You know what's so interesting? I would actually say all of the above because (laughs) what is fascinating with a lot of these beliefs and and mindsets and where they come from, a lot of them are rooted culturally. Um, So... You know, you know how you are raised, and if the depending on the environment that you're in, they may they may rear their ugly head over and over again. Um, you know, so you may you may see them on a consistent basis, but a lot of it is is that how do I unlearn some of those things, and then also looking at some of those beliefs that we were trained are transgenerational, so they've gone from generation to generation, and all we need to do is we have to look at our generations past to sort of see. I understand that you survived through, you were a strong black woman, you know, my mother, my grandmother, whatever, but then we have to then look a bit further. Strong how? At what cost? What did they truly have to sacrifice to have that moniker of the strong black woman, for example? So a lot of these things will will be disrupted. They will change. They'll go against the grain um, because the, a lot of these have a lot of some of these beliefs have been trans transcending from generation to generation. So when you are now deciding, I no longer want to do this, you are going to ruffle a couple of feathers um, and and. And it's important to understand that because um, then that's when you can, again, truly walk in your purpose, understanding that it's not about vilifying the people that came before us because and it's not about this, you know, I'm throwing out absolutely everything. But some of the things or the practices that were were uh, 
transcended down to me, they don't serve me in this in this space. Right. So I actually I actually want to, you know, tear them apart and then reframe it for myself. Thank you so much, Natasha, for your message, your work as a doctor and as a writer. I mean, it's just um, it's wonderful. It resonates true to me. I have been reflecting here before the interview, weeks before, <laughs> yeah, revising my own ideas. So I have a few more questions for you, the ending questions. Before I ask them, would you like to add anything or read a passage in your book? Ah, no, I'm I'm good. Um, you know, I, this has been such a full conversation so far. So let, let's continue. Yes. So my ending questions, the idea of success, how do you define success these days? Mm, well, to me, success uh, is being harmonious. And that's the word that comes to mind for me. And the reason I say harmonious, because I think a lot of times people view success as just monetary or financial. And that to me is a small snippet of, of what is success. Success for me is wholeness. It's, it's love. It's self-love as well as the love of, of the, the circle that's around you and being at peace with the people that are around you. I'm always editing the people that are around me as well. So, um, you know, it's, it's those, those people that are on the same vibration as you to me is also is success and how others are around me. Um, Professionally, for example, I, I run a, I have a, a clinic in Toronto, Canada um, called Allied Psychological Services. And for me, the clinic was not just about me, but it's how am I uplifting other psychologists, psychotherapists, social workers to also then do the work that they are called to do. And so then for me, that's not about money. That's just about lifting up others. And that for me is success. And what is another word for healing? Mm. My goodness. Let me think. Because I use healing all the time. Yeah, <laughs> me too. That's, yes. that's the thing. Um, peace. Mm. Peace just comes to mind for me because um, as you're mm. healing, and even in the midst of chaos, even in the midst of this pandemic, all of these things, yeah. I'm at peace. Mm. Oh, wow. And that to me is important. Two more questions. If you knew you would die soon, meaning leaving the body, would you make any change or do anything in a different way? No. No. And that's the peace I have now. I would, I've always, I've always told myself that I'm leaving, I'm leaving everything here. Uh, and that for me is the most important. I want all of my gifts and talents to come to the full so that I leave everything here. So if I close my eyes mm. tonight and I do not wake up, I know that I've lived a full life. Mm. I, I may I may have a million and one dreams and things yeah. that I still want to do and, <laughs> and all of that kind of stuff. But um. I've always I've I've always lived my life so that again, if I closed my eyes and, and didn't wake up, mm. I knew that I lived every moment uh, the way that God had wanted it to. So 
And my last question is, what are three things about life you know for sure as of this moment? In this moment, three things. The first thing is, is that God is real. <laughs> and I knew that from before, but even more now, God is real and God is everywhere. Number two, God lives in me. I know that I am a vessel I'm his vessel. So he uses me and uses, goes through me to provide healing and messages to others. And three, that even in the midst of chaos, you keep your eyes centered and focus on God and you will always have peace. Thank you so much again, Natasha, for your graceful presence, your timeless wisdom, as I call these um, works of coming from that place of the heart of the of God, really, the invisible world, and the work you do, which is uh, based on the purpose of helping others, helping yourself first, and then from that, helping others. So it's beautiful, really beautiful. Thank, thank you again. Thank you so, and thank you so much. I appreciate it. And before we say goodbye, where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? Oh, absolutely. Please come and, and visit me and get to know me more. I am at www.drnatashawilliams.com. You will find me there. You'll find my, my books, my products things that I'm up to. Um, and again, you can, you can really not only get to know me, but, you know, find out how you can, you know, get more of me and see what my upcoming projects are. Wonderful. I'll have the link on your podcast profile. Yes. Thank you. Thank you so much again. And we'll talk soon. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Dr. Natasha Williams and her work, please visit drnatashawilliams.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.